Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I'm your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edwards. Hello from a very hot and sunny Portland. Luke Diebold. Hello from a freezing Australia. Solomon Eseme. Hi, everybody. I'm from Nigeria. Our special guest today is Timi. Welcome, Timi. Hi, everybody. Nice to meet you all. Yeah, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Timmy, would you mind introducing yourself for those who aren't who don't know you yet? Okay, my name is um, Timmy Omoyani. I'm from Nigeria. I write Vue.js. I'm a front-end developer, obviously. I write Vue.js. I enjoy building with Vue. I also write Noxt, sort of like, how do I put it? I got to fall in love with Noxt. At first, I, I felt it was difficult, but I got to fall in love with it. Same goes for Tenka writing. I also write Tenka to goes for um, Smashing and Logrocket. I've also been a technical reviewer for a book on Noxt, hands-on Noxt.js web development. So yeah, that is a little bit about me. Thanks. So yeah. And I, I definitely think you're the, the best kind of front-end developer if you're working in Vue and Noxt. That's, that's just my opinion, though. What brought you into software development, Timmy? Okay, I don't know how, or how many times you might have heard this, but when I, as I was growing up, I always felt attracted to things that were interesting. When I say interesting, I mean things that could do, that could do stuff by themselves. Like let's say toy car. Growing up, you'd see there are different types of toy cars. Some just, you have to push them, no matter their size, you have to push them for them to move. While others, you just have to drag, drag them back and then they'll move forward because they have like some sort of rotors in them. So I was attracted to things like that. And I, I used to spoiling top things in the house. So I felt like, okay, I I have interest in something about computers, machines generally. Then over time, I got to narrow it down to um, tech. Yeah. So straight off the bat, I started with front end. I started with HTML and CSS. And I like CSS almost as much as I like writing view and Noxt. Yeah. And I, I guess part of that has to come from the reason, has to come from me feeling like I am very good with CSS. I, I enjoy converting designs from Figma. I, I seek like a challenge and I always come out victorious if I say so myself. That's really cool. I, I'm interested to know uh, what made you like CSS. That's something that a lot of developers just don't take interest in. When I started in programming, I, I was very interested in CSS because that was that was the way to make the page look the way I wanted it to. But I feel like a lot of developers today, either they're not interested in it or they just want to use a, a framework so they don't have to think about it. What interested you in CSS specifically? Um, I 
I'm not quite sure, but I felt like all that there was to front end was being able to convert designs to pixel perfect applications. So I just started and I found it quite easy to understand what I needed to do to, to get something to look like this from a design. So just continued with it and I get some sort of satisfaction and I feel happy when I'm just going from my Figma screen to my VS Code to trying to write CSS property to implement something. Sometimes I just say, I just, okay, I don't know, for some people, people try to make jokes about CSS and say CSS is try and error. I don't know if you've seen this meme or this gif of guy from Family Guy where he was a dragging window blinds down and they wrote CSS because they, say, they feel like CSS is like trial and error. But for me, it's not really like that. If I need to if I need to implement something, I just know that this is the property I need to use and I'm, I'm almost, almost always right. Another thing I say is I, I cannot do Mona Lisa or one of these crazy stuff with CSS, but if I put in the effort, I just might be able to do that. So, so yeah. That's really cool. So today we brought Timmy on to talk about the blog post, a blog post that you wrote in particular. As you know, did you write for Smashing Magazine and sometimes uh, your posts are posted on LogRocket. I'd be interested to know how you got to, to write for both of these sites. What gave you that opportunity? Okay, so at the start of 2020, one of the things I had on my to-do list was technical writing. And... Um, I just added it on my on my list. I never really paid too much attention to it. Yeah. So another thing I plan on doing in the new year was okay, this this year I want to polish my skills in view and then Nox. I started with Nox yes. So I went through the old documentation and I improved my understanding of some of the things that were happening there. While I was doing the same for view, I discovered probably typographical errors or just some some sentences that I should be that I felt okay could be better. Yeah. So I just I, I made a pull request and it got merged. And I use my Twitter a lot. So I just tweeted randomly that okay, my pull request got merged into view. So one of my friends is also my follower. He just reached out to me and said, Yo, would you like to write for Smash Magazine? He is an editor for Smash Magazine. And at first I was I was skeptical and I saw that as a sign because I did not tell anybody that. I wanted to go into technical writing. I just got the opportunity and I was like, okay, I think it's not giving a shot. And this is what I might have been preparing myself for by uh, mastering Nox and trying to understand the OVJS documentation properly. So I my first article was in um, Nox since I felt like, okay, not many people write Nox and some people probably struggle with it. So it would be good for me to write this since I know it best. So that's how I started. And I shortly after my first article in April, I wrote another one. Can't remember what it was. Then um someone reached out to me from LogRocket and said, okay, they saw my article and they would like to know if I would be interested in writing for LogRocket. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think I, I would be very much interested. So I took the opportunity and and here I am. I, I've been able to write 12 or 13 articles within space of maybe 15 months or so so yes that's really cool i i personally i do some blogging for uh for the company i work at this dot labs and okay I, I i just feel like it's it's really cool to see the work that you put in on smashing magazine i mean 
one of those big name sites, right? One of the, you get your own blog posts up there and you, your work is, is being shared with the community. That must feel really cool. Yeah. One of the things that egged me, egged me on to take on the, uh, the opportunity was the name. I remember learning um, something in CSS and then I, I stumbled on Smash Magazine. So I learned that stuff from Smash Magazine and I always wondered what it took to write for Smash Magazine. I mean, little did I know that in like a year or two, I would have 11 articles on the same Smash Magazine. So the fact that it was, I saw it like a challenge because a lot of people from different, different parts of the world would definitely stumble on my article from Smash Magazine and I said, okay, if if I'm doing if I'm doing this the wrong way, people would definitely try to correct me because there are articles that I've written and I get feedbacks from people. There was there's an article I wrote on Remember right now, but Raymond, Raymond was one of the people that commented on the article and I got feedback from it. That was the first time I got to know Raymond. So that was the name and uh, the challenge was one of the things that gave me extra motivation to just just go for it. That's nice. Yeah, and I definitely agree with that. Just go for it. Never know what you're going to achieve until you start, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the specific post that we're here for today, which is about reactivity in Vue. And I will let you you talk about it, but basically what it looks like is we're discussing the, the Vue Composition API and a little bit of in-depth on how reactivity works in Vue compared... Vue 3, I, sh I should say, as opposed to Vue 2. Is that correct? Yes, yes, very correct. Cool. So I guess let's let's just go over it from a high level. What's what's different between Vue 2 and Vue 3 for reactivity? Okay, so one of the things that got me to write about this article, I have to say, was I've always wondered how people manage to leave their comfort zone. Like, okay, what I mean is you've been writing Vue 2 for two, three, four years, as an example, and now there's Vue 3. Are people not that they won't be able to grab the new concepts, let's say um, syntax change and all that stuff, with the update that comes to the framework. That that is something that that, that was always at the back of my mind before V3 came out. So once it came out, I challenged myself and I went through the documentation. I went through it a number of times, and I went through okay, what's new in V3? So I stumbled on okay, reactivity. That's one of the major things. That, that that changes in Vue 3 from Vue 2. For Vue 3, the composition API makes it easier or makes gives you better writing code in the sense that one of the things composition API plans to solve is to make your code readable and maintainable. So different parts or features of your app will, can be can be extracted and put together. So if you're trying to debug if you're trying to make improvements on a feature, you can easily say, okay, this feature is in this folder. I'll just go there and um, mess with mess with it. And so someone can come in like three years later and understand exactly what's going on. Yeah, that's 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 with composition API. And with composition, it becomes reactivity in the sense that you are you are able to make any variable. Before we we just used to we just add reactive reactive properties in um, the data data objects and um, computed properties. If you wanted any, if you wanted your your variables to be to be reactive, you had to use one of those. 
But now you can create, you can just say const var equals to something and you can easily make that, that variable reactive with one of the new methods that comes with your three. So that is, is a good thing, if you ask me. There, there are times when I struggled in Vue 2 with making just ordinary variables that did not have to be in the data property. Try, I, I struggled with making them reactive and I settled for a dirty arc that if I go back to that code in, in like three or six months, I might not remember how, how it works. So that's one of the advantages of this reactivity in Vue that that, that got introduced in Vue 3. Yeah, I was working on a project one time where I needed to use, I think it was the Vue.observable or Vue. It was Vue.something, I can't remember at the moment. Yeah, uh, Vue.observable, yeah, that, that's, that's it. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, I, I was using that and it worked, it was cool, but I, I was still tied to that that component structure, and if I wanted to use that data inside of a component, I, it could become a little more tricky. So I definitely like the composition API for that. I remember working on a React project just for fun that was that I was able to make some custom hooks, and it it felt so nice to be able to just encapsulate that logic in a single hook, you know, React hook. And just put it, like you were saying, just put it in a folder. It's there. All the logic is there. I didn't have to think about it again. And I wasn't able to do that in Vue until recently with Vue 3. So I, I really like this way of working on logic and reusable code. Yeah, I think yeah. it's one of those yeah, things um, where as you're doing it, you're thinking when you first learn it for the first time, you might get a bit of a feeling of like, why am I doing this? And then once you got to, you kind of get past that barrier, it's kind of this feeling of, oh my gosh, this is totally making sense now and your brain just starts to explode with all the possibilities of how you can start organizing your code wonderful sorry solomon yes. I, I i cut you off yeah it's no problem look to me yeah you've said something very very important i could relate with the fact that when a new technology or updated version of an old technology comes out there's always a glitch if you want to just jump into it how do you start learning it or stuff like that yeah, so for me, the best way I try to learn these kind of uh, new versions of technology is to just to build a new project with it. So like what I did recently with Vue 3, I just decided to build a new project that I had with Vue 3, and I struggled a lot, I have to say that. So I struggled a lot, but at the end, it was done. Yeah, from there, I learned Vue 3. I'm actually also writing about it, too. yeah. Yes, yes. I also tried a similar approach with Vue 3 after writing this article. I wanted to make use of a composition API and the reactive, the new reactivity that was introduced, but I had to stop after because there were plugins that I needed to use that at the time they did not come with support for Vue 3. So that was one thing. But definitely agree on the on the best way to learn this thing is to take it hands-on and try to build something with it, no matter no matter the challenge in my face. Yeah. Yeah, I've been working on a side project recently using Vue 3 with the Vue CLI. And thankfully for that project, all I needed was Apollo and Tailwind. So those those work perfectly fine because they're not reliant on any Vue 3 or Vue 2 differences. Uh, but it can definitely be a challenge if, if what you're needing for your side project is not up to date with the with the latest features in Vue 3, so you can't actually implement it yet. I remember there was one project I wanted yeah. to start last year when Vue 3 was brand new, and I couldn't because 
I, th I think I was using the the Vue draggable library, and that wasn't ready yet because Vue Vue three was so new. <laughs> yeah, so Vue three it actually makes it very very easy also because you can still use the options API with Vue three if you don't want to use Composition API. So maybe in some components you can decide to use Options API, which everybody of course is familiar with. And in other components, you can decide to try out the Composition API just to you know learn it or master it. Yeah, cool. Are there any situations where you would not use the Composition API? So are there times in your code where you're thinking, "Ah, oh, this problem would be better solved with the Options API"? Or do you try to go all in with the composition API and use it in all of your components? For me, I think there are, there are still some things that the options API solves perfectly. And trying to use the composition API might just be an overkill. If you if I have to choose, I will definitely stick with the options API. There's no there's no need in uh, there's no point in overcomplicating things. So keep it simple and just keep it moving. If there's need to, okay, let's say in the future to expand this particular feature or this particular component to do several things, then I'll say, okay, okay, I think it's time that I migrated to the Composition API. So for me, that's that's the way I would go. Yeah, that, that also makes sense. Yeah, for, for something like that, it's just a decision, let me say. Because the, the Composition API, what it does is just basically gives you a way to write your, your code, the normal way you write your, your Node.js, you know, where you have methods inside the class or where you have functions separated, yeah? So in Options API, you basically have method inside, or let's say you basically have met, uh, function inside the method object, something like that. But in the Composition API, you basically just create them out, just like the normal way you create it in a raw JavaScript file. Okay, so it's just a decision. If you decide to use a Composition API, you just go with it, yeah? But if you decide to use Options API, you just go with it. So what I do in this case is, when I was learning the Composition API, now there are some components that is very, very heavy, that there's a lot of things I need to do that I am not doing with Composition API because I've not learned to that part or to that point. So I'll just go with the Options API at that time, yeah? And then the next component that is less or that has less code, which I have learned to a point where I can do it with Composition API, I just do it with Composition API. But if I'm going to choose, if I'm working on a new project now that I've mastered the Composition API, the way it is, I would definitely go with the Composition API because it's very, very simple and readable. Yeah. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I think one of the things that's interesting about the Composition API, comparing against React, where when, when React introduced hooks, there was the, the class-based components and the function components. And one of the interesting things about how Vue implemented the Composition API is you can have the Composition API and the Options API side by side in the same component. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. So if you wanted to have some composition, some, some custom composition API stuff that, that's out in its own file. You could import that into a, a component that otherwise is using just the options API. You just bring that in, yeah. invoke the methods, return it, and then it's available on this. So if, if you're on, if you're going to a, 
your methods block in your options API, you can access anything with this dot, whatever the function is. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from doing that, which I think is a really interesting design decision by the view team. That's a good point. So, Timmy, in your blog post, you talk a little bit about the reactive and the ref methods. And if I, if I understand correctly, that's two different ways to handle state in Composition API, where originally we had, if you were outside of a view component, you would just use view.observable. Now you can use either reactive or ref. Would you mind explaining some of the differences between yeah. those? Okay, so for reactive, reactive works the same way the data property, the data function works in, in the options API, in the sense that you can pass, it, it accepts an object, and you can pass um, several types, several data types into it, and um, you can access them using a property. Like to create a reactive property, you would say const states equals to reactive, and then you pass an object with several properties inside it. But for the ref, ref can, you can use ref to uh, define a single property. Say, for instance, you are trying to create a reactive property that is referencing number of React jobs. You can easily just say, okay, const React job is equals to ref, and then you pass in you pass in the number. And if you're trying to use it anywhere else, you can access it using um, React jobs.value. But if you're using it outside the composition API, let's say in your templates, you just access it using React jobs. So you can easily, easily, you can just say, okay, for reactive, reactive handles objects, while ref is for single properties. It works for more than single properties, but it's, it's best to just use it for single properties, single properties like or variables, either, either ways. So yeah, I think that's that's like an easier way to put it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So just to, just to clarify, reactive is basically, if you want to declare, just basically works like the data options, like what you've said in the options API. But then this ref basically is used to define primitive data types. If you want to create variables out of like, let's say strings, integers, booleans, or, or, or arrays. So if you want to create those kind of variables, that's when you, you use your ref. But if you want to create a full object, yeah, you can, can then go for reactive. But basically they work the same way. They are reactive properties. Yes, yes. Thank you very much, Solomon. So one question I have is, let's say I have an object that is changing regularly. And rather than wanting, rather than writing, okay. say that one more time. I said, okay. Go on. Right. Sorry. So I have an object, it's changing a lot. Rather than setting each individual key on that object, let's say I just want to set that. The, the whole object. I just want to replace the whole thing. In that case, I don't think I'd be able to use a reactive object. I'd have to use a ref, correct? Because the, the reactive is already set. It is a proxy. But if I try to overwrite it, that would break the reactivity. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Yeah, just making sure. It's my Because my brain is coming at this from, from the React hooks perspective still, I, I have this instinct of I'll just use state for five different things and, and overwrite them all using use state or set state. But that's that's not how the composition API is really meant to be used. It, it just takes a little bit of, of getting right. your head around if you're coming at it from that perspective. That's really helpful to know. So basically is what you're saying, Lindsay, if I have some state and I use 
uh, ref, oh, sorry, if I use reactive to say what that state is, then I can't then replace that state with another object. I can change the properties on that state, but I can't completely replace it if I'm using reactive. Is that, is that what you were saying? Yeah, that's, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was, I was just making sure with Timmy there too. I think if you were wanting to do something like that, you could use a ref because you can just set, let's say state is your, your variable name. You could set state.value equals whatever. But I couldn't find a clean way to do that with yes, reactive. Exactly, exactly. And the reason is because, like I said, ref accepts different types of data, data types. But if, if, if you are using an object, you can easily say new object.values equals to, and you define a new object if, you have, if, if the plan is to replace the old object. Let's say, for instance, you are calling, you are fetching a user information from, from an API, and you, you're making this value, the user information dynamic, reactive, sorry, and you have a form on that same page where you can easily modify a property in that user variable that we declared using ref, yeah? And now you are trying to select a new user, but you still want that user to be reactive. Let's say with the click of a button on the same page, once you select a new user, you can easily assign a new user dot value is equals to the user object that we are getting from the from your backend, as opposed to the reactive reactive um, using the reactive. That that would be impossible. I don't know if that, that makes sense. Yeah, it made sense to me. So one other feature of the the composition API that's interesting that you talk about in your blog is the the two ref function, and I think there's a two refs as well. What do those do for when when you're writing your your components? How when do those come in? Okay, so one of the things I struggled with when trying to write the article was, okay, we have to ref, we have to ref. It was quite difficult coming up with content for, for that because it looked like there was not much difference. I mean, in truth, there's not much difference, but how do I explain it to somebody that's trying to understand these things? So the best way I could do was say, okay, for to ref, like, like, like the name goes, to ref and to ref, ref is singular, and rest is throughout. So if you're trying to declare, create a, a reactive property from a prop, from a prop, you can use to ref. To, you can use to ref. And one thing you should notice that if at the time of cre creating this reactive property, if the value is null, the to ref property, the to ref method doesn't mind. It will just take it in and store the value as null because null is a valid is a valid value. So if this value changes in the future, let's say you are you are using, for instance, again, a user object where the account balance is null because the user has not deposited any money in the account is and the backend is configuring to using null, it will save as null. And when the user updates, let's say funds his account, the new value gets gets updated and to makes it possible for you to for, for that value to also be updated as opposed to to refs. To refs works with objects. Let's say you are trying to declare a property from a prop. Let's say const destructive property, um, destructive, you're using the destructive sign, and then you say const, um, let's say, let me, let, me, let me use gender. Const gender equals to props, and um, you can access the value using, what was the, what was the variable name that I created? Gender.value, yeah? So it takes, it takes properties and converts them to objects from the props, basically. 
it helps with destructuring. Let's say you destructure a property normally. Let's say um, like the props now. If you if you if you did not use two refs to destructure that property from when you initialize it using props, it would not be reactive. And you know props are passed down from from component. It doesn't get updated because using the structure when you destructure a property in view, it loses its reactivity. But thanks to two refs, it preserves that reactivity. So it will keep updating no matter how many times you do this. And while writing my writing my article, I tested this and I, I struggled with it for a while because I did not know, I did I just didn't know why it wasn't working. I mean, I'm trying to write about something and yeah, yeah, I was struggling with it. So that was one way to learn that, okay, you really need to use two refs for this. Yeah, I think props is a really good yeah. use case for two refs. I hadn't actually thought about it that way because props was already a, in my head a reactive object. I didn't see it to, to destructure, but that makes a lot mm -hmm. of sense. It makes it a lot easier to work with in, in the composition API and that setup method. When I looked at two refs, the, the big use yeah, case um, I saw was yeah, destructuring a reactive object into return. Go ahead, Solomon. <laughs> Yeah, Timmy, you are you are very correct. The way I the way I understand to ref is basically now when you have when you have a reactive property, let's say you create a reactive object. Yeah. So the the what what is reactive is the object, not the properties inside the, the object. All right. So to ref can basically help you make the properties inside the objects to be reactive. Yeah. So that's basically how I, I understand to ref. Yeah, I think that's a really really good way of putting it and i have to admit like these are one of those one of those things that you like i'll read it in the documentation and it'll make sense to me and then you don't use it for long enough and it starts to disappear so it's like it's really nice to sort of revisit these topics again and what you said solomon then just really made something click the fact that two refs is basically helping you rather than making the entire object um reactive like the object itself reactive it allows you to dig into individual values within that object and make those reactive individually. Am I getting that right? It sounded right to me. I mean, this is one of the things where I, I really enjoy the composition API and I can tell we're going to have a long time trying to understand it and finding how useful it really is. Kind of like how, I mean, I see it the way the React hooks kind of took over the React ecosystem and it became the standard. I see composition API doing that as we discover all of these cases where it's so useful to us and just unlocks things that we haven't been able to do before in view. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yes. So while, like, shortly after I learned about Composition API and new reactivity in view 3, I went back and there was something, I, I don't know if you can remember, earlier I said there was something I tried doing that dirty act for with view 2. I went back and I tried using it, doing it with view 3 and it was, very, very easy. And I was like, yes, yes, this is it. This is it. I was so relieved. It didn't it didn't take me, it didn't take me long to just figure it out. And so very reactive. So yes, yes to reactivity. Awesome. We are coming up on time. Uh Timmy, is there anything else you would like to share with us before we wrap up? Let me say okay. I think one of the things that I struggled with when writing this this article was I'm trying to do this step by step. Okay, I want to talk about reactivity in view, view three. Then I want to talk about compositions in view three. But I realized that you can't take advantage of the reactivity in view in view three without learning the compositions API. Yeah. So I had to go back and understand composition API. And there, there was this there was this tutorial I took. I think it was the one on um, on the Vue.js documentation and. 
it really helped me understand the direction and what Composition API planned to solve. Because for a while, I did not, I did not see any reason why we should leave the op Options API and move to this new Composition API. Just we can already, can already do. We already have reactive properties in view with computed properties and um, and then um, the data data property. But after watching that tutorial, I saw a clearer picture, and it helped me. It really helped me. So all I all I just want to say is that if you're trying to learn common board view theory, you should start with the composition API. It's a good place to start. That's like the biggest deal in the new updates. Every other thing like like um, provide and inject and the of um, teleports, they are quite easy easy to learn as uh, when compared to composition API and having to wrap your head around it and not thinking from the API point of view anymore. So so that's 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 what all I have to say. Awesome. Thank you. Well this has been a great discussion. Timmy, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you everybody. Nice to meet everybody. Can yeah. can we all um, drop like social media and just so I can follow, follow everybody, yeah. give everybody a shout out. Absolutely. We'll, we'll do that in just one second. First, we're going to go to picks. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. And for those who aren't aware, picks are the part of the show where we share things that we like with the dev community. It doesn't have to be programming related. Today, I will start with Luke. Do you have a pick for us today? Absolutely, I do. So my pick for today is, in general, it's generators. So being able to generate files on the front end and being able to generate files yourself and create those generators. So for example, if you create view components in your own way, so maybe the composition API, this is a great example of this. Maybe you want to generate a file for a view component and you also want to have like a question pop up that says, hey, do you want this to be a composition API component or an options API component? Then you can generate a component yourself using, using your terminal. And I think this is such a great skill that's often missed with developers because it allows you to create things so much faster and develop so much faster in the future. And also, it means that you can add your own flavor to files. So you can start saying like, oh, maybe if you don't like the defaults and generators of other tools that you're using, you can start getting a lot more control over it and say, this is exactly how I like my view components to look like. And so the tools that I've used in the past for generators is Plop.js, which is awesome and gives you like a lot of control. But my all-time favorite is now Hygen, which is hygen.io, H-Y-G-E-N.io. And that's gonna, that's a really great way to get up and started with generators. And so I highly recommend everybody just like checks out generators, checks out Hygen, and yeah, get more productive at coding. So that's my pick, Hygen. I'll have to check that out, thank you. Solomon, do you have a pick for us today? 
Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, I'll just talk about some general random thoughts that I read online that makes sense. So there's this thing that I noticed that is called research at the service. Yeah, so you can say R-O-E-E-S. Yeah, so it's basically like a system where you, let me just, research at the service products centralized and organized information in a way that lets people make quicker and more informed decisions. So I think this is kind of a new way of presenting information to users because over the years, we've seen lots of tech companies that, they are, that developers are basically their customers. So if somebody can, or if developers can become more technical writing developers or taking more, make more sense, or this is going to open like a more opportunities for even developers than, you know, developers are cool, okay? So I think everybody should just check out the research as a service paradigm and see, you know, what they can get out of it. So I will just paste the link here. Awesome. Thank you. Steve, do you have a pick or a joke for us today? Not only do I have one joke, I have three jokes. Three. All right, I'm ready. So two of them are sort of along the same thread that I've been going through about my... uh, sort of job history that I've had over my lifetime. One was I initially had, I got a job, hired as a job as a bullet, but I was fired immediately. And then after that, I had a job as a scuba diving instructor, which is really cool. But after giving my first lesson deep down, I realized it wasn't for me. And then, (laughs) and then sort of a more of maybe of a web developer type joke. What do you call a table whose design can be changed at any time? It's editable. Thank you. Thank you very much. Was that a mic dropping that I heard in the background? Thank you very much. (laughs) Two shows, Fridays and Saturdays. Don't forget to tip your weight staff. (laughs) (laughs) I I will go next. So I have a pick. Hopefully this episode will come out in time for it. I think it will. Uh, Next week from when we're recording, this week, if you're listening to it, the week I hope it comes out, is the View Global Summit put on by Geekle. The show is on June 9th, 10th, and 11th. On the 9th is the junior track. 10th and 11th is the senior track. Junior track, I believe, is free. Senior track price is going up soon to $300 per ticket, so a little pricey, but highly valuable information there, including a talk by myself about using TypeScript with Vue. Uh, but we also have former guest ho- or guests of the show, Philip Rakowski, Daniel Rowe, Oscar Spencer and someone named Paolo Kalefi who talks about Quasar. You might know about him, Luke. Yes. So lots of good material that will be available uh, both on the junior and senior tracks. Highly recommend checking it out if you can. So I'll make sure there's a link a link in the uh, chat for that. So Timmy, do you have a pick for us? Yes. Yes, I think I have one. I have one. So there's this company in um, in Nigeria. I happen to work there. It's called getsequity.io. So what getsequity does is it allows startups or companies just sign up and create some sort of token where they can use that as an avenue to raise funds. Say, okay, I just created a startup now. Instead of going around looking for funds, I just sign up on getsequity and I say, okay, I have 2 million tokens to share, to sell at this price. The the plan is okay. I open it up and I say, okay, I'll invite you to my room. 
come and be a picker of this blessing and uh, buy, buy, buy shares. You can buy as many as you want. And over time, the price goes up and the company, the company is making money. And you yourself, you're also making money from, from it. Because it's like, um, let's, let's, let's just say it's like uh, buying Bitcoin. Yeah, you buy Bitcoin at a particular price and um, over time, it either goes up or it drops. But the, oh, the, 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 the prayer is that it goes up. Yeah. So companies now have easier way to raise money, basically. So it's uh, getequity.io. We will be launching next week. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Oh. And Timmy, as you mentioned, we should share our social media handles so people can know where to find us. Where can people find you on the internet, Timmy? Oh, okay. So I'm always on Twitter. These days I've been a little busy. So, but if, if my if I get a notification from Twitter, I'm always very quick to to pick up my phone and say, oh, he's trying to, he's trying to he's trying to connect with me. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm always very excited when I see people trying to connect with me. So find me on Twitter at Timmy. Papi, that is T-I-M-I-P-A-P-I. And um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Timi-Omoyeni. That's LinkedIn.com slash Timi-Omoyeni. Or if you just search for my name, thanks to Smash Magazine. If you search for my name, you would see me on Google and can easily connect me anywhere. It's always nice when you can control the SEO for your own name. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That, that's so good when you can just search your name on Google and you know that people are going to find you. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. I also had such a name randomly. Like, okay, is there any other Timmy guys trying to overtake me on Google search? Awesome. Well, thank you again, Timmy, for coming on to our show. This was excellent. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice hearing everybody's point of view, signing reactivity. I hope I'm, I'm able to do, do a lot more with you three in the future. So I can uh, probably put out something or just share my thoughts randomly on, on the thread on Twitter. So thanks everybody. Of course, we'll be watching for it. Hope you all enjoyed this episode <laughs> as well. If you did, you can find more of us at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv. You can also find us on Twitter at viewsonview. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay K. Wardell. You can find Steve on Twitter at wonder95. You can find Luke on Twitter at Luke Diebold. And you can find Solomon on Twitter at Correct me if I'm saying it wrong, uh, Solomon. Kapersky Guru? Yeah, you're right. Kapersky Guru. Awesome. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again next week. Adios. Bye for now. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.